0: All right, we're live. Uh, welcome, everybody. Today, my, my guest is Luke Joday. We've got a very interesting conversation lined up. The topic is uh, NFT based digital identities in the luxury industry. Our tagline is how NFT based digital identities bring superpowers to luxury goods. Uh, Luke is the co founder of Ariani, which is the digital identity protocol that enables augmented ownership protocol. After starting his career as a business analyst in a Fortune 500 company, Luke co-founded BiEco, which is a renewable energy marketplace in Switzerland. And it was while working on energy traceability solutions at BiEco that he discovered blockchain technology. So, welcome, Luke. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, let's get this kicked off. And I, I want you to uh, explain it to me like I'm five. What? Uh, and I know this is broad, so feel free to dive in as as you want. But crypto blockchain and NFT? Let's sort of set the foundation for our, our conversation.
1: Of course. Um, so the, the the goal of cryptocurrency um, with the, which Bitcoin was the first uh, application uh, was really the, the idea of creating digital scarcity online, um, but a digital scarcity that was uh, not centralized, meaning um, the dollars in your bank account actually, uh, when you go online are already uh, uh, digital assets that are scarce. Uh, however, they're not decentralized, meaning that um, you'll figure out actually that uh, in, in some cases that your, your your dollars in your bank account cannot actually be withdrawn because your bank actually is putting a hold, so you do not have full control over it. Um, the, so really, uh, crypto was this idea of being able to create scarce um, digital assets uh, that you had full control on because they were decentralized. Um, blockchain is actually kind of the technology that uh, Bitcoin stumbled upon in a way uh, to actually make this possible. Uh, and then the idea was that once we we created um, this base layer technology of blockchain uh, to to do crypto, well, you can actually apply it to a bunch of different uh, digital assets and and NFTs, which have um, really been um, a, a big story in the last three months, um, are just applying uh, the, the the concept of. Uh, uh, cryptocurrencies to uh, scarce items that are unique or in really limited quantities. Um, and here, the applications are multiple, whether it's uh, digital art, of course, uh, which has been uh, in the, um, the press a lot with people, uh, but also collectibles like uh, baseball cards or uh, the NBA Top Shots, which has been a, a major application, um, but also plenty of other applications, um, including the one that, that INE does, which is really creating digital passports, digital twins for physical
0: products. And I want to go into more detail on that here in a second, but I've got to ask, did you buy Bitcoin back in the early, what, 2009, 2010 era? So definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I, <even> <laughs> 2000, 2000, <laughs> so t-
1: 2013 is really when I started hearing about Bitcoin, um, okay. I think with the, the Silk Road story, you know, and uh, uh, this... Um, uh, it 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 was intriguing but not enough to me it, it was a, a bit too too limited in its application in a way uh it was uh, like digital yeah. gold and am not a big fan of of gold in the first place uh and so really kind of never really got into it um i i, I was of course wrong uh, and i do in bitcoin today and <laughs> I, I do think that it's a, it's it's a good uh, um, I mean, it should be part of your portfolio. Um, however, what really got me into crypto is, is the, when Ethereum uh, was introduced um, with this idea of uh, the distributed computer. Um, as, as an entrepreneur, I could see many more uh, things to do with this technology than I could with, uh, with Bitcoin.
0: Absolutely. So let, let's use that as a natural segue to talk about. So how does um, Ariani compare to Ethereum, Polkadot, Cardano? How would you compare them? so we, we don't really compare to
1: them i mean we are an application we're not a blockchain we're an application that lives on a blockchain um so okay. uh, we are a set of smart contracts that uh, live on uh, on the ethereum uh, blockchain um so actually on ethereum blockchain or uh, side chains including uh, the okay. the So sidechains for for scalability, basically. So uh, anything that is Ethereum-based, we can be deployed on. And with a little bit of work, we can be deployed on on other chains like Solana um, or Cardano Cardano that you talked about, um, which Mm -hmm. have a a slightly different um, uh, base uh, uh, technology.
0: Makes sense. So, what are your thoughts on adoption in general? We were talking uh, before the before we we went live, and you know, you were saying you were a little bit late to the party, even though you you came aboard in like roughly two thousand sixteen of the whole crypto space. I'm like really late to the party, and and that like five months ago, I started getting interested in it. But I would say, like I told you offline, my my wife thinks that I'm still really early. You know, so it's it's all relative based on I guess people's comfort level. Um, but what are your thoughts on in in general on Sort of widespread adoption in the coming months and years of, of crypto and blockchain and NFTs in general. Um, so
1: I, I think that even you know ten years in, you're still quite early to the the party. Um, it's it's still not a, a widely adopted technology. Uh, Bitcoin is is starting to reach, I think, some level of maturity, um, but it's only really starting to be adopted uh, in the last few months by, by institutions. So there's still mm-hmm. a, a lot of, uh, of room for, for adoption. Uh, then all the other technologies, you know, the ones that really got me into this, which is uh, all those this kind of distributed computer and uh, yeah. that is built on, on Ethereum, but also on, on other blockchains. Uh, this, I think we're really just scratching the surface today. And uh, the, the fact that NFTs have been used um, for, I mean, have been uh, gaining steam in the last three months is actually something that gets me really excited and because we've been using NFTs for four years. I could not use the term uh, because nobody understood what I was saying. Uh, and now um, if I say NFT, everybody uh, understands what I say or at
0: least yeah. think they understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, well, we all will pretend to understand what you're saying or, or those, <laughs> those, those of us who don't deeply understand it. I, I felt out of my league when I was listening to Tim Ferriss talk about it with uh, Naval Ravikant. And I thought like, man, if Tim yeah. Ferriss doesn't get this, like I am just screwed. Um, but oh, but they, these,
1: they, they, I think the SNL video as well was kind of a, a good uh, a good image of the fact that you know right now NFT kind of means a lot of things to different people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I didn't see that. I'll have to pull that one up. Um, okay. Did you do you subscribe? To, I think I think Tim Ferriss coined the term Nifty. Do you have you heard people call it the Nifties in the industry or no? So, so Nifty
1: has been used as a let's say a, as an easier way to, to pronounce it, um, and a bunch yeah. of different projects actually use it. Like Nifty Gateway is probably one of the best uh, okay. uh, example of uh, of a product of a project that's used the, the term Nifty. Um, the Nifty I was at the Nifty conference in back in 2018 in Hong Kong, the first one. Uh, so it's been around for a while. After mid mid, I still use the term NFT rather than Nifty, but, but both are acceptable.
0: Okay. So I want to talk about a, a use case example um, at Ariani and how how you use NFTs there. So I, I understand I, I've seen that Breitling, which is a high-end watch um, manufacturer, is launching with you guys. So can you tell me more about that and then maybe give some examples of, of um, how you guys will work together? Of course. So uh, Ariani really we're an open protocol that um, enables any
1: brand or creator to create a um, digital passport for their product. Um, this digital passport is an NFT, um, but it's ah uh, it's kind of an enhanced NFT because it enables more things than just storing an information. Uh, so the, the the two main things is first, it's ah uh, it's a certificate of authenticity and uh, and ownership, uh, okay. the same way kind of like an NFT, uh, like what people imagine an NFT is. Uh, and then we we enable two other uh, core features. One is to add events to your um to your passport. So every time something happens to your product, meaning um, if you, uh, for for instance, with Breitling, when you get the the watch um, serviced uh, every two to five years, depending on on, on the type of watch, uh, you actually get an additional event to your uh, to your wallet, to that actually records the fact that you've uh, you've done you know the proper servicing of your watch, uh, and that's really important for the resale value in particular. Uh, usually, it's if you can prove that you uh, have actually um, uh, serviced your watch properly, uh, it's worth about 30% more on the resale market, uh, which brilliant. is important for for watch collectors. Um, but events can also mm. be uh, just a kind of a historical event. So it's like I went to this sporting event and I had my watch. And you could actually add this event to your to your passport. So it really augments if you want. The, the, the product with its history uh, and with different interactions that it had. Uh, the third one that we have is that we enable um, messaging to be sent to the current owner of the product. Uh, and that's actually something that's really uh, interesting um, in particular for Brightling, uh, who is really uh, interested in the idea of anonymous clienteling, meaning uh, having a, a, a relationship with a product owner without honestly knowing who that product owner is or collecting data with them. And here, because you're always talking to the um, you're always talking to the actual uh, you know to the watch owner without or to the certificate which is then owned by the watch owner. At no point do you have actually the need to put an email address or any personal information. Uh, but you can still have a, an interaction with the brand uh, without actually providing any information. And the brand on the other side knows that you're an actual owner of the product, uh, which means that they can you know invest that time uh, with with you um, without necessarily knowing uh if uh, you know if if you are really worth uh, spending time uh, discussing um the, the the this specific uh applic- or, the, you know, spending time talking about the the brand um when um which which is one part of the vetting um because it's an investment yeah. also to spend you know a significant amount of time with a customer uh, so th- yeah. those are the the, the core three uh, applications. Now, once you have this passport, it's also a key to different uh, experiences. Um, and so, with, uh, with with actors like Bash, for instance, we really facilitated or, or fluidified the resale market. Uh, and uh, so, just with one click with your digital passport, you can put your product for for sale yeah. on uh, on different mm-hmm. resale platforms. Um, and uh, and we have a bunch of different applications from one-click insurance uh, to uh, like special recommendations based only on the the watches or the the products that you have in your passports, uh, and uh, all the way through uh, actually having a a digital like an actual virtual version of your product that can be worn in virtual
0: worlds. Wow, my mind is just exploding with use case ideas, right? Like this is just so amazing to me, and I it reminds me this this is. Kind of funny, but you're talking about like the you know the history of the item, and it reminds me there was a a story I read somewhere about um, someone that did a, a, an experiment listing products on eBay, and they were all sort of antique products, and they found that when they wrote the story of the product, effectively the history, you know this, you know was was in you know this famous person's home from this time to this time, that it increased the value exponentially, and I can see how that could could be the case, like if you have a Breitling watch that was previously owned by this particular influencer, this this particular well-known person. I mean, it it would increase the value of it to know that story and to believe and understand that it's, and I guess to trust that it's credible, because of the blockchain yeah. technology.
1: Absolutely. I mean, antiques—a big part of how you value an antique is whether you can actually link it to a uh, you know a historical event or to a mm-hmm. historical person, and so it, it does have uh, an important uh, when you when you want to value an object to actually know the history of the project of the product. I, I mean.
0: I see the value in this. I absolutely see the value. I guess if I'm if I'm playing the devil's advocate, my concern would be adoption by people who don't quite understand. Let's say, for example, that and I don't know if this is true or not, but let's say that the, mm-hmm. the most common buyer of Breitling watches are baby boomers. Let's just say, I, yeah. and if they're not as aware of the NFT technology, what's the likelihood of them adopting? It seems like that the it's incumbent upon you guys and or Breitling to educate uh, their clients on the value of this yeah so a big part of what we're doing is actually taking nfts and uh, and making
1: them um you know palatable to uh, to people that are not familiar with crypto uh, and uh, and or blockchain um so really have an entire um environment of, of uh, applications and uh, um and interfaces that enables um you know the, the the watch uh, owner um to easily take ownership of the nft in a uh, in a it's an app on your phone basically that you download the the, the custody of the keys on it is actually uh, uh on your phone and backed up on um on either your, your iCloud or your uh google cloud uh, depending or your google drive depending on uh, on which phone you use and all okay. this is as seamless as possible um so the experience is purely a in an app uh, experience and the underlying technology that enables this is uh, is blockchain. Now, one of the reasons why we actually went for the um, for the for watch collectors or watch owners in general is that there's already kind of a habit um, of uh, of the certificate of authenticity uh, and uh, this okay. understanding of the importance of servicing your watch, keeping its history, uh, mm-hmm. and also the the biggest resale market for a secondhand market for luxury items is really the. The, the watch industry. I mean, out of like the 22 or 23 billion dollars worth of uh, of um, sales for on secondhand market in the luxury industry, um, three quarters of that is just the watch industry. Um, so, for all those reasons, uh, when you want to tackle uh, what we're building, um, the watch industry was was kind of like the, the 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 best first market to go on. And now we're kind of expanding to you know fashion, where there's there's less of that of that. Um, uh, importance or habit to to act for a, to act for a certificate of authenticity, um, and to uh, and to actually uh, uh, look for the history of the product. Um, mm. but there there's still a, a good in because there's still a lot of value that's brought to this. And then the idea is to go, you know, even more down the line to cosmetics, um, and uh, and wines and spirits. And and actually, wine and spirits probably one where the history of the bottle is is quite important
0: as well. Yeah. I can see so many different industries where this would make so much sense. It reminds me, my one of my daughters is 14, and she's big into shoes. And she found a a pair of Nike. I think they're called Nike Air Max. I'm I'm old. I don't know, but apparently they're a really high end, nice shoe at the thrift store. She found these, and she looked mm-hmm. it up on eBay. And apparently it's a a version of the shoe that's no longer made. And it's worth something like six hundred dollars on eBay. So she's feeling pretty awesome that she has this. But I nice. can see that in that situation, this could be quite handy to, you know for something like that i know people are fanatical about high end shoes for example
1: so absolutely and and i have to admit that the sneaker uh, market is really the, the the one that we're going um, trying to go after right now um, i i usually call the, the sneaker the the watch of the millennial and and gen yeah, z okay. Yeah. uh because i think it it is really similar in a way um the the watch uh, is uh, is both a i mean a, a way to of course show you know your um who you are uh and yeah. uh, and, and and flex quote unquote uh, but it's uh-huh. also a reserve of value uh, and it's something that actually a lot of really high-end watches are never worn because you know you want to preserve them as much as possible they're more yeah. bought as investments uh, I and uh, i think i think the sneaker market is, is really similar but for a different generation meaning a lot of those sneakers that are bought, you know, on StockX and traded, uh, they reserve a value and they're not even worn yeah. because um, if you wear them, you actually reduce the, the um, you you really reduce the the, the quality of the, the the worth of your of your shoe. Um, so to me, there's really a major parallel between the two, uh, yeah. and uh, and I, I think that um, it's an ex- ex- extremely good application. Uh, we already um, did one launch with a small brand called Satoshi Studio, um, and uh, and we're about to uh, to do a second launch, uh, meaning like brands that are using our our passport um with a brand called agent 33 uh which is actually a pretty hype brand uh, worn by um stars like billy eilish uh, mad bunny travis Scott. Okay. Uh, so uh, definitely you're um, you're you know you're right on point the, the sneaker market is definitely something that uh, we're extremely interested
0: in yeah good for you guys i i have to ask i'm i'm a total tesla nerd and i saw a video on uh, I think it was on your website, but where you were using your application to ah. I now I'm 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 over my head in terms of the technical language here, but effectively transferring the certificate or sort of rights the passport, uh, yeah. to sort of share, yeah, the passport, okay, to somebody else, okay. then they were then able to open the Tesla through your app. So can you give us a, I guess, explain it to me like a five version of what happened there? yeah
1: so the, the this little demo or hack is something we, we did over the weekend with uh with my cto um alex uh and uh, the the idea here um is that it's already possible to uh, open your your tesla with a with an app okay it's uh it, it, it that's not something that we did it's the api yeah. you know tesla api actually works that way mm-hmm. uh it's all and you have to log into your, your tesla app uh, in order to um to actually open your car with your with your phone, uh, and you have a login password. Um, now, it's not possible to to you know lend this access to a, a friend um, without uh, actually giving him your your logins. So you would have to give him your login so he can actually log into the same uh, to the into the app and log in with the, and and open the car with the app. Some people have actually de- de- developed other apps that enables you to. Um, uh, log in with your with your Tesla, you know, logins. Put your your Tesla logins inside the app and get other people uh, to use the same app, and you can share it within the app. But in that case, you're actually sharing your login not with your friend, but with that third party. Uh, app developer, uh, which is okay. still not quite safe. Um, yeah. What we were trying to do here is to say, when you're lending your, um, you know, you're lending your keys, your physical keys to a, to a friend, uh, you know for how long you're, you know, how long you're you're lending it to your friend. It's just the moment that you're giving the keys, and then you're getting the, the keys back, uh, right. and it's completely peer to peer. There's no third party involved. We have to share the the, the logins of the third party uh, application. Uh, and also what we built and how we use actually this nft is that uh, and you know the the the, the passport which is an nft is that i will uh, put the logins within the nft encoded and, it, uh, and uh, send it to you and and send to you with a, a time lock meaning like it's uh, it's actually only going to be in your wallet for 24 hours a week, whatever the time, whatever time uh, I, I decide. Uh, and uh, you then have, you know, control over the car. And then when you need to return the, the keys, doesn't matter whether you return them or not, I can always like call the little function that calls back the keys. And all this is completely peer to peer and on a decentralized network, uh, which and so of the, the real, the real thing we're trying to prototype here is how do you actually get, you know, use blockchain to do the exact same thing with a digital um, uh, record that you would do with a um, with a
0: physical key, right? That's awesome. <laughs> it's just a heck of a good story too. That's just fantastic.
1: Well, we, I, we I, had fun. We had fun doing it.
0: I don't doubt that. Did you get a ride in the Model Three?
1: Uh, so I did get a ride in his Model 3, for sure. I, I took a old drawer right around the <laughs> in the corner. Uh, I had also driven the, the the Model S and the first version of the Roadster. So I think I, I only missed the, the Model X now. <laughs> it's the only yeah. one I still haven't tried.
0: I, uh, I rented a Model S about, oh, I don't know, six months ago or so. And I just wanted to, to try it out. So I rented it for a, a couple days. And it, it was a performance version of the, the Model S 2019 model. Mm-hmm. And I got on, the, I was accelerating onto the highway and I just hammered it, threw me back in the seat. I got dizzy, almost blacked out, kind of swerved off the road a little bit, didn't hit anything, thankfully. But then I felt nauseous afterwards and it wore off after a while. But it's like, dang, like I've never felt acceleration like that. It's, it's just, it's like no other car ever. It's incredible. Yeah,
1: it's a it's it's a pretty amazing car and the, the electric drivetrain. I mean, it's that's really the cool thing that uh, you get like all the power right away. It's not like a, yeah. a thermal engine when you um, you actually have a, a curve uh, to get to maximal power. So, yeah, it's it's, yeah.
0: it's it's a lot of fun. Feels altogether different than a, a normal car. Yeah. Um. So let's circle back to Ariani for a second. So tell me a little bit about like what would you say is your 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 biggest pain point right now? Well, our
1: biggest pain point is uh, we are growing quite fast, um, adding uh, you know several uh, uh, brands, uh, pretty good brands every month, and uh, it's uh, you know just a, a growth. Uh, uh, you know, the pain points are linked to growth. It's like when you scale, it's uh, you hit a bunch of uh, different difficulties that um, you have to face, uh, you know, uh, on the spot really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's just uh, it's good. It's nice to actually grow <laughs> grow fast. It's a good it's a good problem to have, but uh, it also is yeah a lot of headaches and to 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 actually uh, uh, ensure that you're always delivering a, a top uh, experience because um, yeah. the, the the technological kind of base that you need to actually um, survey the the couple first customers uh, needs to be upgraded once you once you actually hit um, you know the the a significant number um, and uh, and it's a gap that you try to be prepared for um, but it's um, you know
0: it's it's always challenging. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like we have a, a question from a viewer. Uh, it says, let me just read this out. You can you can answer it. Uh, for us, the layman type, he says, the users, uh, so you, layman users, does the term non fungible refer to an actual physical condition like fungus due to humidity, <laughs> <laughs> or is this a fun reference to the virus or info decay? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, you know what? We should actually probably do a, a, a an NFT that's a non fungible uh <laughs> non-fungi token. That that could actually probably be doing, it, but no the, the fungible means um uh, is, is a kind of a accounting term. It's the idea that um when it's fungible it means um you can take two of those two, two um uh, units of uh, of this token, and um, you would be indifferent um, to having one or the other. Um, so the example is usually two one dollar bills. Um, in two, let's say two brand new one dollar bills, um, you would be indifferent to get one or the other uh, because you know they're just worth one dollar. Uh, yeah. When you're talking about a painting, um, you might actually have a preference if it's a Picasso and uh, a you know um, something that I've done. Uh, in my in my childhood, which um, to this day is still not worth as much as a Picasso.
0: <laughs> That's shocking. Maybe someday. Don't don't lose hope. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think a lot of artists come to to more fame after they die. You know that that happens. So, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, well, we'll see. people has hit it uh, pretty hard here with his uh, his uh, five thousand days sale, uh, which, by the way, was the the. The sixty-nine million dollar sale of, a, of an NFT by Christie's. Um, oh, thank you. Which was one of the one of the most, um, um, I think it's like the third most expensive piece by a living artist um, ever, and it's a it's an NFT. Incredible!
0: That's absolutely. That's the the genesis of all this, I think, or or adoption of all of this in the mainstream, or the beginning of that, right? Like that's that's unbelievable. That certainly made national and international news. Um, Indeed. Yeah. So how do you how do you guys make money? What's how how do you get paid? Well, we have two. There's two aspects
1: of what we're doing, and there's um there's the open source side of things, um and uh, that's really the the protocol that's deployed on the on, on chain, uh, okay. which we cannot really change. Um and it's um when we do updates, we have to really re uh, deploy new contracts. Um and this is all managed by a, a nonprofit, uh, and was financed with a with a token sale. Um okay. so so I mean the, the the, the governance is is a non-profit with uh, with different brands that we work with, so like Brightling is in there, Audemars Piguet is in there, um, the Richemont Group with Vachon uh, Constantin, the Dubois are in there, and um, plenty of other brands uh, that are really um, uh, participating in, in how do we upgrade and update the protocol. Um, but the actual current version of the protocol, which is like V 1.5, uh, which we already had a first uh, update, um, is uh, is really just deployed there, and it will be running as long as the blockchain runs uh, and that and we are deployed on a public blockchain so I am not the one in control to as to whether uh, uh, this thing stops or not. Um, all this once again is, is, is like outside of our purview um, and uh, the, as I said it was it was uh, financed by a um, uh, uh, financed by a token sale uh, back in 2018 uh, and uh, the, the, the way uh, this token actually works in the, in the economy of this uh, this protocol is that every time you want to create a digital passport, um, you actually have to pay with this token. Um, you also need to stake the token when you you want to when you want to uh, reserve your brand identity, um, mm-hmm. and uh, all those uh, all those payments are actually then redistributed to different stakeholders in the ecosystem, uh, to uh, so like developers who build interfaces that enable the creation of this uh, certificate in particular, uh, and um, and that really creates a, a, an incentive an entire economy uh, instead of incentives that that make uh, the, the the ecosystem grow. Um, so that's really the the tokenomic side of things, the open source, um, because mm-hmm. the, the 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 protocol itself is a token based protocol. A token-based protocol. Uh, and then on the on the side, we have a separate company um, which actually builds all the interfaces that a lot of brands are asking for. You do not have to uh, go through the the private company to uh, uh, to use the protocol. You can use it on your own. There is a JavaScript uh, uh, we've even done a JavaScript library to easily uh, um, interact with the blockchain without even knowing. Uh, Solidity, which is um, uh, the, the language, the specific language that you need to use on uh, uh, Ethereum-based uh, blockchains. So mm-hmm. you can do all that on your own, but if you want, you know, a nice interface, if you want API connectors, if you want um, a lot of the support um, that uh, that you won't have if you're doing it directly, uh, you can go to the, the the for-profit side of what we're doing, uh, and uh, and we'll we'll actually really package everything uh, for you. Um, so it's a it's a classical. Um, so it's a classical. It's a semi-classical. Uh, open source business in the sense that you have the you know the open source protocol that anybody can use, except there is this token in there, which is kind of a, the the improvement or the new thing that um, that uh, crypto and token based protocol has brought, because there is an economical incentive within the protocol itself, um, and that's actually quite powerful to maintain the, the the open source protocol. And on the side, there's a you know full service. Uh, Kind of a premium uh, um, side of things where you um, you do not have to take care of anything. Um, you do not necessarily need to be a developer, um, and you just have to you know click a few buttons to get your things done, and you have you know twenty four seven support.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Let, let's yeah. transition a little bit into the personal side and learn a little bit more about you and kind of what makes you tick. So, I want to hear a little bit about your journey into this space. And what you did previously, and how that relates to what you do now, sort of. And the idea is that that most founders have have careers previous to starting businesses, or maybe they were in a completely unrelated space, and they're segueing to a, a new um, type of business. And I think it's important yeah. to consider how we can we can transfer our knowledge and experience from other dom- uh, dominions to or domains mm-hmm. is the proper thing to say to the new space.
1: Yeah. So I studied economics and then worked as a financial analyst for um for three years um before going back to school for my master's and uh, my master's was really spe- um specialized in um, renewable energy policy uh, and um, i worked uh, on during my last year um with um, a former um, chief of staff of the, the french um uh, the minister of the environment um on uh, on a, a big energy over energy policy overall uh that was happening in 2012-2013 and with the, with the new presidency that came in at the time in france uh, and mm-hmm. after a year of working on this um actually everything that i had done as was just uh, uh you know scrapped and, and put it into garbage and i really felt like i'd spent a year uh, for nothing uh mm-hmm. so after spending about six months working as a uh, as a consultant um, on on energy policy issues uh, um, for different companies, um, I actually thought that you know entrepreneurship is I think the way to go, and started a company in Switzerland, which was a renewable energy marketplace. And the idea here was really to uh, enable to to stop thinking about energy you know energy from the the kind of policy side of things, uh, and really uh, uh, try to, to work directly with the private sector. And so we were working with um, small small renewable energy producers, um, especially hydro and solar plants, um, usually kind of like small industries, small companies that have a hydro plant, which is common in Switzerland, or okay. um, uh, farmers who have like you know, 400 square meters or uh, 4,000 square feet um, solar installation on their roof and selling it directly to uh, different businesses. Um, and in Switzerland, there was a lot of banks, uh, construction companies, insurance companies. Uh, that would buy it um, for kind of in the what the U.S. in the U.S. you call a PPP, a power purchasing agreement, PPA, sorry, power purchasing agreement, uh, and uh, and really be able to source electricity directly. So I did that for four years. It uh, worked actually quite well. ended up uh, um, selling the the company. Um, uh slightly after i started any actually um okay. because sales always take a bit of time but while yes. i was working on that on on, on echo which is the name of that company uh i actually uh, uh around 2015-16 i started getting call i had of course discovered ethereum but uh didn't really see the, the actual application just yet uh, so at the time it was just a kind of a you know fun thing that I was doing on the, on the side and uh, at some point i started getting calls asking if um you know for my my main company uh and uh, asking me well you do energy traceability which is a big part of uh, actually having a marketplace because you need to be able to figure out where the energy comes from and where it's going uh do you use blockchain for that and i was like um i, I do not looked into a bit if it made actually sense um to use it End up uh Finding that um, it made little sense to use a uh, blockchain for traceability, um for reasons I'm not going to go into right now, uh, mm-hmm. but um, really it, to me it, it was not really a good application. But thought that you know that's that that's the moment to to actually start looking for a good application um, of yeah. uh, blockchain technology. Uh, and um, and so that's when I started looking, and uh, quickly I uh, found a few people that were starting to work on the the, the first idea of uh, of Ariany. uh Joined them to to draft uh, and was the person that really drafted the, the white paper at the time, uh, and then uh, you know uh, we, we we raised the ICO and started building
0: uh, with my co-founders. Awesome, And ICO that's an, what initial coin offering is that what that stands for?
1: absolutely i did a token sale it. back in uh, in in
0: late 2018 from from' a uh, second half great i, I want to know what do you do that's different than most people so like me as luke, me as a luke person Kennedy, the, you yeah. as a person what is that like what is the thing people notice about you kind of the special sauce of luke what is that what is that for you um i think that i think it kind of,
1: um, differentiates me from uh, from other people uh, is the fact that I, um, I I always like to to go figure out what the new thing is. Um, so I think a lot of people uh, tend to uh, become you know experts in their domain um, and uh, and uh-huh. spend a lot of time on something and and, and you do need a lot of experts. Um, I think my <laughs> the thing that really uh, makes me different, or, or in, in a good or bad way, is that. Uh, I'm always more interesting in the you know the first learning of of something more than the uh, expertise that comes with uh, with spending a long time on something. So I'm always kind of you know going and looking for the next thing to yeah. to learn, uh, which once again is both a, a, a good and bad uh, because sometimes a, you know if you if you do it too often you you always only scratch the surface. Um, yeah, but uh, if you you need to find the the right balance where you're. You're still learning enough about the subject um, before you know going to the next thing, um, mm-hmm. but but really I think it's a it's something um, quite important for an entrepreneur um, because when you when you start a business um, you have to kind of do everything at the beginning uh, and then you have to quickly uh, find people that are better than you uh, at, uh, at at the things that you started to understand how they work and pass off the yeah. the, the you know that thing and go um, go discover or, or explore the 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 next yeah. big uh, big fire um, that you have to to put out, and then of course yeah. pass it on to the next person and, and go and be okay with that process of always uh, you know always passing off things to uh, to other people. Otherwise, you you can't do everything on your own, and it's uh, and you 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 end up swamped.
0: Yeah, I'm laughing because you're totally singing my song. Like that is just, <laughs> I, and I th- I feel like you know I don't I don't regret most of the past, but I, I feel like there, definitely there's some downsides to that. I think yep. that maybe maybe the key is is having the wisdom to know when it's time, and there, there is such a thing as finishing it. In other words, like you can start something, not properly delegate, not properly hand things off, and leave too soon, and I would consider that undone. But there, like as you're describing, there's a way that you can do it properly and finish it, even if it means you're not going to be there long term.
1: Yeah, no. no I they, as I said, um, it's a, uh, it's it's good and at the same time it's dangerous as well uh because if you if you delegate too early um then the you're probably first you don't understand it properly enough uh, so you might actually not even be conscious that the the person that's doing it you know is not doing a good job uh and you're also not setting up the next person to for success because you're mm-hmm. you, you're not actually um Giving them the right instructions, or or even just being able to tell them what you what you actually want, yeah. uh, and so spending a bit of time to learning. And, and that first part, I mean, it's it's not just uh, you know th- what I enjoy is not the fact that I'm going from one subject to another. What I enjoy is that first you know moments of learning something completely new from scratch. Um, and it's it's not just the, the uh, switching from one thing to another. Is uh, I enjoy that that process of of learning something new at the beginning.
0: Yeah, totally. So how do you discern when it's the right time to move on? You know, you personally, how do you how do you determine that? (laughs) Yeah, that's I think that's
1: a really difficult question. Uh, Knowing when to when to delegate and when to stay, you know, how much longer. I, I would say it's uh, it's more of a feeling and an art than than really a science. Unfortunately, um, if there was a perfect, uh, yeah. I, I think maybe the, the the day you can actually explain things properly in a fairly simple way, and uh, and you know kind of what what success means for the person you're gonna pass off that. Um, uh, that, that topic i think that might be the day that you can start you know feeling feel comfortable that you actually understand it enough to uh, to pass on the ball but um once yeah. again it's not not a not an easy thing i think it really needs a feel for it yeah definitely
0: much more of an art yeah. who who has the quote of um oh i just lost my train of thought oh that if you can't explain something to a child then you really don't understand Was that richard feynman or is that um who was you know so, you know what i'm talking about
1: I, definitely, it's like if you if you cannot explain uh, something to a five year old, it means you don't <laughs> truly understand yeah. it. Um, yeah, I know that quote as well, and I think like every other quote, it's a, I've, I've heard it attributed to uh,
0: yeah.
1: either Einstein or um, <laughs> or Churchill, but I, I don't quite know who who said it. though.
0: That's good, regardless.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a good quote.
0: So, what about work and personal life balance? Is that something you strive for? Is it all just mixed up in one pot? How do you how do you balance the two?
1: So I to so I, I started my career in the U.S. Actually, um, so I grew up in okay. in France and then moved to the U.S. for for my first well to finish my uh, my undergrad and then for um for uh, my first job. Um, and I really enjoyed. And in the U.S., I was in California, but it was in okay. San Francisco, and uh, I. Um, which, which might actually be be also uh, of the essence of, of that experience uh, what I really enjoyed over there was the fact that there was a, a fluidity between work and personal life uh, which is quite different from what you have in France for instance where it's really you work from this hour to this hour and then you know don't work for you know the, 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 the rest of the day and there's a, there's set moments for work set moments for life uh, and uh, you don't mix the two uh, what I really enjoyed, uh in 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 california was uh, actually my, my manager at the time uh who would start uh, get up at 5 a.m start sending emails uh from 5 to 6 30 and uh, then we wouldn't hear from her until 10 because she would you know get her kids up uh get them uh fed and and, and dressed and uh, take them to school then we'd have meeting from 10 to uh to three and then she was out would uh, take care of her kids and then around seven, um, start sending emails again. Uh, and, uh, and to me, that really stroked me as something that, that a French person would find complete madness. Uh, exactly. like the way I grew up was, um, my parents would take me to school at 8 AM uh, and then they would pick me up at six in the evening. Uh, and, uh, and that was, you know, they worked from nine to five 30, uh, basically. And then that was it. Uh, or, or 8.30 to 5.30 and that, that was it, yeah. um, it wouldn't work. And, and I, I felt like uh, this idea of, of being much more fluid and it also enabled you to have better interactions I think with, uh, with your with your family uh, because you, you could actually spend much more time with them in the morning, in yeah. the evenings. There is, of course, a drawback to that, and, and I, I, I admit it, is that, um, well, sometimes you if you're not careful, you end up working 24-7 uh, yeah. and not actually taking time off. So it's, it's I mean, no, no system is perfect, but I, I have to admit that if I have to err on something, uh, I really err more on the fluidity side of things than on the uh, set work hours and, and you know, mm-hmm. strict separation.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Looks like Elada said that that quote is attributed to Albert Einstein. <laughs> so
1: Yeah. So, so, the only problem is that every other quote is either Einstein or Churchill. So I'm always a bit skeptical <laughs> when I hear it's Einstein or Churchill. Yeah, but, but maybe neither they defend themselves of now, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. That's funny. Uh, so another question. So Carlos says, from your perspective as an entrepreneur, how do you define terms like resilience and grit, and how do they differentiate – how do they differentiate from simply being stubborn in an unhealthy manner?
1: <laughs> uh, yes, that's, I guess that's the difficult, line. that's the difficult question. Um, uh, one, I, I'd say one thing that we learned with, a, with an entrepreneur is that you're, you're told that you're stupid uh, for the longest time until one day, suddenly you're a genius. Uh, and it's, uh, the difficulty is that you need that grit and, and really like you know taking those um those difficult moments um and in and stride and, and keep on believing in what you're doing um at the same time you also need to be careful that you're not you know di- completely delusional uh but then i think another side that's important once you're because there's the quickest you know the switch is so quick from being a, a complete imbecile uh, or being called a complete <laughs> imbecile to being called a, a Next, you know, the genius keep next chief jobs uh, is that then you also need to remember that you're never as good as you know the people telling calling you a genius uh, uh, say you are. So uh, you, in both sides, I think you need to you need some you know some grit well when it's difficult at the beginning, and and some humility when people start saying that you know what you're saying is so awesome and and genius. Uh, now um, to, to answer the question. Um, that I same thing. Um, it's an art more than a more than a science. Um, be careful what uh, you know. Don't believe everything other people say. But I mean, keep a keep an eye open, keep an ear open. It's a uh, you know, some people have good feedback.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's just a matter of discerning whose is good yeah. and who's isn't. That's that's a whole nother challenge. Yeah. I, I'm curious, uh, Luke. You use the word humility. Are, would you consider yourself to be a humble person? um i i try
1: to be a humble person uh this being said it's a uh, you you need a i mean you need a, a bit of self delusion um in in the hard times uh, when you're an entrepreneur so uh, sometimes you do need uh you know to to be a to have a, a <laughs> some of a heightened sense of yourself uh, otherwise you 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 don't you know you don't finish the week so um i think i'm i'm, I'm i try to be as humble as possible uh, at the same time um you you, you need a, a bit of uh um, you know you don't be too humble uh, as well because otherwise you um, when when the think when things get get difficult um you you forget to you know you you you're going to give up too too easily so sure i um, believe you you have to believe in yourself a bit
0: yeah I, and yet again it sounds like there's another balance i mean if pride is the opposite of humility i would say that confidence i would say that we can be confident and not be prideful mm-hmm would you agree? Yes.
1: Yes. So what I, what I usually, I think an analogy that I like is uh, between being um, self-confident and, and, and self-assured or, or, you know, sure of yourself is um, if there is a, a river in front of me um, and there are, you know, a few rocks here and there, and, uh, and you need to jump from rock to rock to go to the other side of the river. Uh, the you know the person that's, uh, I'm not quite sure I'll, I mean, I know I'll go to I'll get to the other side of the river. Um, I might get wet uh, on the way though. Uh, so um, I think that's the difference is uh, um, I, I, I'm not quite sure I will be able to hit every rock perfectly and not slip. Um, but at least I'll, I'll always find a way to, to make it to the other side.
0: Yeah. And there's certainly a lot to be learned from slipping on the rocks, I would say as well. Uh,
1: there is for sure.
0: Yeah. How, how do you apply that in leadership with, with your team? Humility
1: uh well here you mainly you need to uh try to be as as, as humble as possible and, and lead by example uh and um and i guess when you start having like promoting people as manager it's also something you have to try to remind them um in, in a way uh, that because uh, because i think that's where i feel like I've still a lot of um, uh, room to, to grow uh, is how to manage other people um, and and how to help them become good managers um, because I, I feel like uh, um, that's sometimes that's that's actually a quite difficult um, a task to uh, to transmit some of the things that you've learned and uh, and also to uh, empower people without um, without giving them uh, you know to a heightened of a sense of themselves that they will you know Forget the humility side. So, um, yeah. I guess my answer is, is: I have to admit, I have quite a lot of things to learn to uh, to instill that same sense of humility to everybody. Uh, but I I think the, the the main thing that you can do really is, is lead by example on this and and try to be as humble as possible yourself. Uh, yeah. While again remembering to uh, you know to have some some a bit of pride is, is not 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 a bad thing either.
0: Yeah. I think you have a lot of humility to even say that to admit uh, (laughs) challenges that you have and certainly that we all have. Um, That's good stuff, Luke. I appreciate it. I want to land this plane and I know we're, we're about out of time, but I want to know what advice, let's do this. What advice would you give to your younger self? If you could pop back in time and you pick the time period, 10, 15 years, whatever, what advice Mm -hmm. would you give to your younger self?
1: Um, I would say just um, get started uh, and, and don't, um, don't wait for the the right moment there, there's no right moment um it's uh the right moment is now uh, and uh even if uh, your your original idea to get started with it's not exactly how it's going to end up and point it's never going to be um yeah. it's you, you're going to learn much more by getting started now and, and and failing a few times um than you will by just trying to learn as much as you can and really wait for that Perfect uh, moment uh, to get there. There's another one that also I like is uh, is a quote by um, uh, Antoine Saint-Exupéry uh, who says like if you so of course it's going to be a, a butchered uh, um, no quote problem. but it's <laughs> but it's uh, if um, if you want people to to build a to build a boat um, don't uh, teach them how to um, how to carve wood and uh, and uh, you know build a build a hull and uh, and then uh, uh, add a mast and and, and build the, all the, the sailings um give them the the yearning for the sea uh, and i think that's that's something that, that um, i had to learn um sometimes it's more important to give uh, to to instill some sense of of um you know want in people uh to go learn something go discover go build yeah. something than actually telling them here's the, the big strategic plan that we're going to to have and here's you know the entire, uh, uh, you know, here, here's the first step, second step, third step. And, and here's how that mm-hmm. uh, we're going to play this out. Sometimes it's actually much better to just, uh, uh, you know, give them just uh, the will to uh, to actually do it uh, rather than just uh, the steps to do it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's good. All right, I found it. So if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood. Divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Exactly. That's, that's the good. one. That's good stuff. Awesome. Well, Luke, you've been extremely gracious with your time, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else that you wanted to to share or or discuss before we part ways? Uh, no.
1: Um, um. Thank you very much for for having me. Uh, if you want to learn more about um, Ariane, we have a, of course a website, uh, Ariane.org. Uh, we also are quite active active on on Telegram and uh, and Discord, if that's the things you're using, and um, or of course, um, Twitter is is Great. also a place uh, where we can reach uh, reach us
0: excellent well that was my next question so thank you for sharing that I really appreciate oh, it okay
1: <laughs> sorry uh, and of course for me personally yeah uh, my, my Twitter handle is probably the easiest
0: no uh, <laughs> I perfect all right so we'll great. we'll share all that on our uh, our website so people can easily access that um, great well thanks again for your time Luke really appreciate it Thank you Jim and thank you everybody for listening. Cheers.